0: will issue an opinion in due course. I'll call the second case now, Uh, State Farm Fire and Casualty Insurance versus Oliver. Mr. William
1: Thank you. Good morning, may it please the court, counsel. My name is Scott Williams. I'm here representing appellant State Farm Fire and Casualty Company in this matter. With me at my counsel table is Han Pham of our office. This case in many ways is a companion to the PALER decision that this court issued in July of 2017. In that case, the court determined that an insured is entitled to pre-award interest on an appraisal award. This case follows from that insofar as it raises questions about how a person goes about getting pre-award interest what time restrictions may exist for any claim for pre-award interest, and generally who gets to decide what amount of pre-award interest is available to the insured as a result of an appraisal award.
2: I have a couple of uh, preliminary questions, counsel, and you can either answer them now or in the context of your argument. One is whether or not you agree that the arbitration statute, the MUAA statute, you agree that that statute doesn't anywhere include the word appraisal there may be a question about whether or not and that leads to my second question um, what is your position on whether or not the statute
1: controls here that's a good question in terms of the M- and it M- happens a- once in a while <laughs> in terms of the muaa a- i agree that it's an arbitration act that basically says arbitration throughout. There is really no reference to appraisal. You can't really look to the MUAA specifically for textual language to determine how an appraisal issue should be decided. Case law over the years has applied the MUAA to appraisals and has frequently used the terms arbitration and appraisal interchangeably. I think sometimes to the detriment of the law over the years because it's become very confusing in looking back at past cases when There have been decisions issued that focus on arbitration and appraisal, even though uh, they are different concepts and and can be applied differently in in terms of how they actually occur. Um, In this case, I I do look to the MUAA as um, a guide for how the outcome should be, in part because that's how we started this process. The um, insured moved in district court under the UM, MUAA. And I understand
2: your position to be that um, the the property owners here um, sought to apply the statute, and so they therefore should be bound by the 90-day provision. Correct. So my question is more fundamental one, which is should we be applying the MUAA to this? And um, depending on how you answer that question, what, is that,
1: what difference does that make to the result that might obtain here? From From a standpoint of should the court be applying it, I think... You know case law suggests yes i mean it would be difficult i think now with the history that has occurred in, in terms of applying the muaa to appraisals to just abandon that concept entirely there is no you know, I, I don't think judicial remedy for where we are today on that. I mean, if, if the legislator's legislature wanted to come forth with a whole concept of how appraisals should occur or have um, a, a, you know statutory framework, I think that that would make sense. But as as we stand here today in terms of making a judicial decision, I do think the MUAA is the best source of determining where we're going to go and, and again the cases that have interpreted that over the years how it impacts this case um, you know it, it is in a sense trying to apply arbitration principles to appraisals which, which can be very difficult if they're not the same thing but in this case i think there's a way and a path forward for coming to a resolution that makes sense for all involved um, and, and, in, and in our particular case here You know, the questions that that we've got in front of the court are are really twofold. One, who gets to decide whether appraisal interest um, is added to the award, and and if so, how much that amount should be? And then second of all, um, what is the time frame upon which a person must seek the appraisal interest? As it relates to who gets to decide, we've presented um, that we believe that the best approach is to let the panel itself make the first determination of how much money should be added to the award. And then after that has been done, if a party disagrees, you can seek judicial review de novo in the district court. I think that- Excuse me, counsel, but
3: the Oliver's say that you can't cite, you haven't cited a single case that shows that an appraisal panel can um, determine the statutory claim for interest. Are they wrong about that?
1: Well, the closest case we had was the David A. Brooks case, which the Minnesota court of appeals overruled as part of its decision in this matter in the david a brooks case that was an appraisal case where there was an indication that the appraisal panel could award pre at that time pre-judgment interest there was no pre-award interest that was specifically being referred to um, and so that was the best case we had for saying that there is authority there. Beyond that, I don't have any. I mean, I I do think it's essentially a concept that this court needs to address, which is who gets to make that decision. Um, Because again, if you look back at case law, you're gonna find a lot of arbitration decisions, not so much appraisal decisions.
0: Counsel, the appraisal panel has the authority to determine the amount of loss. So what is the purpose of pre-award interest?
1: Well, I would argue the purpose of it is really to well, fundamentally, I think, to account for the time value of money. But but secondarily, I think as it relates to the law here, um, we, we look at it as a mere incident to the determination of what the appraisal panel is doing. And that mere incident language comes from the Atasca paper case from 1928 that this, course, this court decided. And then that language has appeared again in additional decisions from the Cedar Bluff case in 2014 and the Quady decision from 2012.
0: If in fact the purpose of pre-award interest is, is as you suggest, to compensate you for the value of, of the money that you lost during that period of time, then why wouldn't it be part of the amount of loss? I mean, it's just sort of a matter of common sense, isn't it?
1: Well, arguably, I, I think it is. I mean, I, I think when you're presenting your arguments to an appraisal panel they're going to decide ultimately what the amount of the loss is and I, I would argue that yes as a mere incident to that determining the interest can be done because you can't get to the interest question obviously unless you have a number for your amount of loss at that point it is and, and i'll you know there can be variables that are in play here in determining how you get to the number in in terms of when you start calculating the interest what the interest rate should be and there's been some disagreement in the lower courts about those issues but you're right ultimately the the appraisal panel we believe you know it makes absolute logical sense to have the appraisal panel weigh in first and then if someone wants to have an opportunity to question that go to the district court and get a de novo review Um, as opposed to having the the appraisal panel not have an opportunity at all to weigh in on pre-award interest and then you're essentially stuck with going to district court to have that number determined, which seems to fly in the face of why you're having the appraisal in the first place, which is to avoid having protracted litigation. So that's, that's the first question there in terms of who gets to decide. And we believe, we believe it makes logical sense under the law as a mere incident to determining the amount of loss to determine the pre-award interest. Council, I was reflecting on your answer
4: to Justice Anderson's question about the applicability of the MUAA. And um, I, I, you seem to say that we're locked in. Only the legislature can change it. We're, we're locked into the position the MUAA does uh, control the arbitration process. What case or cases of locked us in? I'm familiar with some Court of Appeals cases but I'm not aware of any Minnesota Supreme Court case that would lock us in.
1: Well, and and I guess in terms of locking the courts in, I, I certainly, I, I think it's, you know, within this court's purview to say, you know, we don't think these prior cases have been appropriately decided. And I mean, would we have way. to overrule any precedent of our court? You know, in, in looking again at, at the principles of appraisal, I think if you look back at the Quady decision and the Cedar Bluff decision, you know, there is references there to what an appraisal panel can do, and in part that is developed from the MUAA. So I I, I think it would be tough for this court to say that there's never been a determination from this court that has applied the MUAA in some fashion to deciding a case, Um, simply because when looking at what an appraisal panel is capable of doing and what decisions it makes about the value of, of, of the loss, there is case law, I believe, that, that at least in part depends on the fact that the MUAA has set the standard for what an appraisal panel does. Um, but with that said, I, don't, I think you're correct that there's never been a case that has specifically come before this court that has said, well, have we done this right? Is the MUAA actually what we should be applying to appraisals? And I don't know of a case that said that. So, so you know, in, in a sense, I think it's there tangentially, but, but not directly. If the MUAA is not used, what would the process be? Well, I think then you would have to revert to the policy language itself, which, which defines what an appraisal is. Um, but the reality is the, the policy language isn't very detailed about and, how and it should proceed. I, and I wasn't very clear in my question. I meant what would the process be? The appraisal comes back. Right. What's
5: the what's the procedure for challenging the appraisal panel's
1: decision? Well, that's just it. I mean, I think if you were not uh, relying on the MUAA at at all in terms of um, modifying an award, I think you would essentially have to, you know, there would be a new body of case law created in terms of going to a district court and saying, I'm challenging this award. I believe that the appraisal panel made an error. And I think this is how the MUAA started to be getting applied to appraisals is that court said, well, how are we going to decide what the appraisal panel's authority is because it's not found in the insurance policy and so the appraisal panels have essentially or excuse me the courts have essentially looked to the muaa for guidance and and that's how as i see it this process started of applying the muaa to appraisals so to answer your question i don't have a good answer as to how that would start in district court I, i don't know where a district court would look other than the muaa if there is no legislative remedy And so if we if we go to the questions here in terms of um, who can make that decision, um, one of the reasons we think it makes sense to to have the appraisal panel weigh in on that is it's similar in a sense to what conciliation court is in Minnesota. most often, not all the time, but most often, when you have disputes about appraisal amounts, they're not very substantial. In this case, it, it was because the ar- the appraisal award was significant, and so the the interest that can be tacked on was also significant. In a lot of occasions, you might have disputes. You know, that you know the insured is demanding fifty thousand or less and the insurance company is offering five thousand or, or something in that ballpark. And and so and you know, just like in conciliation court in Minnesota, if you have a dispute under fifteen thousand dollars, you go to conciliation court in the first instance, and if you don't like the result, you can appeal to the district court for a de novo review. We see what we're proposing here is something similar to that in a way because you know you're not going to be aggrieved by the appraisal panel in terms of how the decision is made and if you feel like you are as it relates to this interest concept you can go to the district court it's just that instead of having every case go to the district court to have the district court decide the the pre-award interest that must be added on let the appraisal panel do it and and from there I think just like happens in conciliation court, a lot of the smallest disputes get, get you know taken away and they're not then making their way to district court. Um, I, I'm gonna turn now, if I can, to the second issue here today, which is if we do apply the MUAA, um, how do we decide the time limitation that exists for purposes of seeking pre-award interest? And in this case, um, the claim for pre-award interest was made 500 days after the award was issued. At that point in time, State Farm had already closed its claim file and assumed the, the matter was, was over. Was there a release of all claims signed here? No, and, and, and typically in a first-party claim, if you go to an appraisal, you're not going to ask for a release. If you're not in litigation, it's not typical practice for, for an insurance company to say, you've made a claim against us and we paid it, now you need to sign a release. Right, right. <laughs> You've just paid the claim. Exactly, it's yeah. essentially okay. just that, make, like,
2: that makes sense. But I was, I
1: didn't see any reference to a release, and I wondered if there. Right. In, so yep. okay, very good. Thank you. And and so you know, in this case, there was this time period that lapsed, and when the motion was made in the district court to collect pre-award interest, it was styled as a motion to confirm. Now, under the MUAA, I think that makes some sense because you're saying why well, I I've got to have a vehicle to seek the pre-award interest. The problem is, is that in this case, there was no pre-award interest addressed as part of the appraisal itself. So in our view, it was really a motion to modify the award to add on pre-award interest. That has a 90-day window in the MUAA to make a motion to modify the award. In the motion to confirm context, there is no time limitation. So that's what is disconcerting to uh, insurance companies in this particular instance, because you, if, if somebody is essentially making a motion to confirm an award that's already been paid, and there's no time limitation upon which that can be done, you could have circumstances like here where you have an appraisal award that is issued and then a year later, two years later, several years later, really and there is no time limit there upon which a person could say, I'm making a motion to confirm the award. And typically, you know, a motion to confirm something that's already been paid, in other words, a motion to reduce it to a judgment would be moot. I mean, you wouldn't normally, seek to get a judgment against a a person or an entity when that has already been paid. So here, our argument was that essentially, no, you're moving to modify the award to add on pre-award interest, and you only had 90 days to do that under the MUAA. So if the MUAA concepts are applied here, it seems again to make sense to say that there has to be a 90-day window to be able to make your demand for pre-award interest. Um, and so, from our vantage point, the, the Minnesota Court of Appeals erred in concluding that the 90-day window does not apply, um, because really, and I think that the, the court, you know, noted, and, and in a footnote, that we don't really know what the time limitation would be. And, and, you know, from our viewpoint, that's exactly the problem with not applying the 90-day window. Um, I will concede that again, and go, this goes to the, the heart of what we talked about earlier. The MUAA, it's it's sort of uh, you know this this large spaceship that's landed on appraisals, and so you know we're we're trying to we're, we're trying to put something together that makes sense. So if you look to well this this modification language in the muAA does it really apply to appraisals you know does it say that this is meant to apply no i mean i can 't find language that says that but nor can you find language that applies really any of the arbitration concepts to appraisals it 's been done over the years because that 's been the resource you, you
2: know council i 'm going to go back and, and revisit this question. Uh, I thought maybe i'd pound it into the ground but i'm going i 'm going to take another run at it so I went back and i i 've been looking through the Quadi decision, that's the McLeod County pronunciation, I think the Carver County (laughs) pronunciation is Quaid, and you can pick which one you want. Um, But as I'm going through that decision, Justice Meyer cites the appraisal statute. She cites case law that comes from the early years, the last century, um, you know, long before the MUAA was adopted. Um, And you know, I may have missed it, but I don't see her referring to the MUAA anywhere in that decision. you know, I think this discussion about how our court has, um, you know, cited to the MUAA, I, I don't see a lot of authority for that. And I'm, again, maybe it's there and I've missed it, and I certainly don't claim to be, have an encyclopedic knowledge about it. But um, I still think this is an open question about what we do with the MUAA and appraisal awards. Tell me
1: why I'm wrong about that. I don't think you're wrong. I, I guess from my vantage point, In just dealing with the cases that I have over the years in the district court and the court of appeals, it's just been a given. In other words, it's sort of the, I mean, it's been applied as a practical matter on the
2: ground, uh, not necessarily. uh, from any ex cathedra order
1: or opinion that we've issued. Exactly. I, I, I don't think that that issue has been squarely addressed by this court. That, that anyone has ever posed the question of should the muaa even be applied at all to the concept of appraisal. Um, and so, from my vantage point, you know, has this court ever weighed in on that directly? I don't believe so. But i've always assumed there's this body of law that exists out there because there are a number of appellate decisions that are published that do say that that you know the the muaa applies to the appraisal uh, circumstances and in here obviously when we briefed this issue to the to the district court and the court of appeals we both essentially treated as a given that that was the case because that is what the controlling law has been um but no the, the reality is is um, I, I think there is that open question. The, the problem is um, is that there really isn't, as I see it, a, a great resource other than the MUA to answer some of these questions. And so, you know, I, I'm not one to say that it makes complete sense that the MUA does apply to the appraisal concept. The problem is, is, I don't see something that's a better alternative at this point. Essentially, you're stuck with it. Well, I mean, I just don't know. Legislative. I, I, I just imagine if if the MUAA did not apply to appraisals at all, um, I, I just think we would be in a district court arguing, about, well, what are the the principles that govern appraisal proceedings? And again, the, the insurance policy doesn't say anything about it. So I'm not I'm not necessarily standing here as a big fan of the MUAA being applied to appraisals. But but the reality of it is is that um, you know, and maybe it isn't the worst thing. But but we'd be breaking down the system that's in place without really a system to, to take its place that I can see. Um, so that's, that, to me, is the, the problematic concept there. Well,
4: isn't the system to take its place
1: district courts, which have general jurisdiction over all questions of law and fact? It would be. I, it would be interesting because I don't know how a district court would analyze the issue. I mean, if, if the court was given instruction that the MUA should not be used to determine appraisal concepts... I think the district court then is going to look at the insurance policy and see that really it just outlines what an appraisal is very, very generally. And then the district court is going to say, okay, where do I go next? And I think you know that's why we ended up with the MUAA being applied. Um and, and again, I don't think that's you know that, that isn't something that a, a district court is certainly capable of of then coming up with some concepts that would make sense. Would the would the district court because they because the
5: parties in the contracts select a manner for determining the loss, which is this appraisal process, right. and the appraisers come up with the loss, is the district court, would they be bound by that decision, absent maybe a, a mathematical error? So well, are they bound by like, these appraisers came up, this is the amount of the loss. You can't
1: relitigate that, right? Right, I mean, just generally speaking, what, what the parameters of that that have been is that you know appraisals cannot decide legal questions they can't decide coverage questions in the sense that those are judicial concepts that need to be determined
5: so there are there is litigation that follows the appraisal in some circumstances because people will challenge yeah, there's, but there's, not not as to the actual amount of the
1: loss. Right. I mean, I'd say there's two concepts there. One is if you're if you're seeking to modify or correct the award in some way, that has a very deferential standard of review for what the appraisal panel did, even when you're in district court. Um, so that's the one concept. If you're basically saying, I don't like the appraisal panel's number, and here's why. But but what does happen occasionally is that you have a, a more uh, you know de novo type of review in district court if the issue that was decided as part of the appraisal arguably shouldn't have been decided at all. So an appraisal panel... Like, is this
5: barn covered by... Exactly. You know, an appraisal
1: panel typically isn't supposed to be deciding pure coverage questions or pure statutory interpretation questions. And so, you know, if you can convince the district court that essentially the appraisal panel has weighed in on something that's too far apart from the amount of loss issue then that is really a, a de novo review in the district court. And then that goes to this language that I was de- referring to earlier, the mere incident component here that has been used in, in cases in the past. It's it's defining what is a mere incident to determining the amount of loss. And so in in the Quaid decision, um, you know, the, the court said there, well, determining causation sometimes can mean that you know you're really just determining the amount of loss. So counsel your state farm's position is not that pre-award interest
4: is part of the loss it is an incident to the loss. Right, exactly. Because the word the the word loss is defined in the standard fire insurance policy itself as the actual cash the actual value of the insured property at the time of the, the damage happened.
1: Right. Yeah, if, if you have a loss at, at, at your home and it gets paid out, I would define that as the loss that's paid out by the policy. The appraisal interest obviously only applies when you have an appraisal, which isn't all the time. And so uh, I do think that it's something different than just the, the amount of loss, but I do think it's in a mere incident to the amount of loss, and that's where it flows with the case law that is in place. I mean, absent overruling, you know, and, and I'm not saying Quaid and, and, and um, these, other, you know, these other cases would have to be overruled, so to speak, but absent um, departing entirely from the concept of applying the MUAA to appraisals, I think saying that an appraisal panel can decide an interest question can be done by saying it is a mere incident determining the amount of loss. That, that flies in exactly in line with what occurred in Quaid. So for those reasons, ultimately, um, we do believe that the, it is appropriate here to, to reverse the Court of Appeals opinion, which was a published decision, um, because we do believe that the appraisal uh, framework in Minnesota needs some clarity on, on these issues. and. Um, from our vantage point, having the appraisal panel weigh in on the pre-award interest that an insured is entitled to under Paylor um, is the best route. And then on top of that, and I, and I don't think this concept necessarily has to, uh, you know, I think it's a mutually exclusive concept. But I think that um, saying that there's a 90-day window for modifying the award to add pre-award interest if you don't get what you like in the district court makes sense so you essentially could say the appraisal panel gets the first crack at determining but
3: isn't that argument somewhat contradictory because on the one hand you're saying this is this is incidental to um to the appraisal the amount of loss and then you're saying no it's it's part of it that can be determined
1: well, I mean, I think it's incidental in the same sense, though, that... I,
3: I mean, the modify part. You know, it's not really modifying the appraisal award, right? It's just a separate thing that's being added onto it.
1: I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it, there is a question there. Well, are you really modifying the award, but, but I guess the way I'm looking at it in terms of when you move to the district court, you're, you're arguing that you need to modify the award to add pre-award interest or to change the pre-award interest calculation. So I think that can still fit within that statutory framework because I, I don't think it would make sense to say the appraisal panel is the final word on pre-award interest. Um, I do think that there should be a right to challenge that if you would want to. And again, then the only vehicles for doing that under the MUAA anyway are confirming the award, or modifying the award. And clearly, you wouldn't be confirming it if you're trying to challenge it. Um, and I see my time is up, so I will reserve my uh, remainder for the rebuttal. Thank you, Council. You,
0: you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Uh, Mr. Jaden.
6: Good morning, Your Honors, Council. May it please the Court, uh, Alexander Jaden from Smith Jaden Johnson along with one of my partners, Tim Johnson, and it's my pleasure today to be here on behalf of William and Sheila Oliver. I feel like there was a lot to unpack in some of the court's so, questions. And,
2: so, and before we get to the unpacking part, let's start with the same two questions I asked your uh, opposing counsel, which is, does the word appraisal appear anywhere in the MUAA, and does the MUAA even apply in these circumstances?
6: Your first question, Your Honor, is no. The word appraisal does not appear in 572B, and, it's, uh, and the rest of the clauses in there. Um, yes it should apply Um, while appraisals are not arbitrations they're not so far apart that they're apples and oranges they're sort of green apples and red apples they're similar mechanisms in which parties are able to resolve disputes And, and in that context it's sort of important to describe what the roles or the scope of authority of potential different venues are and i think what's instructive to show the differences between appraisals and arbitrations is sort of explaining how a jury trial would work. So everybody's usually familiar with how a judge has sort of authority over the legal questions and a jury has authority over the fact questions. There's some intertwining, sure, but generally speaking, that's how we understand the difference. We put them together and we have a result in a case. Now let's compare that to the scope of authority of appraisal panels versus arbitrations. An appraisal panel, and this is by statute, Minnesota statute 65A01, and this is by every policy that's issued in the state of Minnesota for property and casualty coverage. It's required to be in there. This appraisal process to resolve disputes about the amount of loss. And one of your honors had mentioned that this is very important: is that amount of loss is, is a term of art. It's, it's not just this is a panel to make any decision we want. Their scope is statutory limited to making factual determinations about the amount of loss. An amount of loss is money that's owed under the contract of insurance. So to determine the amount of loss, they're making factual determinations that have to be relevant to the four corners of the insurance policy.
2: So if we apply the MUAA here, um, opposing counsel says, look, there's a 90-day provision in that, um, uh, in that statute, and it should apply here. Why shouldn't it?
6: There is a 90-day limit within the modification statute this ad- asking for interest never was and never is a request to modify the award because under this the going to be
2: larger than it was before that looks like a modification
6: to me well that's adding something onto the award that is different than modifying the the prime portion of the award the award is it can only 30 for be that is because the the insurance appraisal panel is limited to make a determination regarding the amount of loss the four corners of that appraisal award can never be anything more than the amount of loss. Interest under 549.09 is not part of the amount of loss. It is an extra contractual damage of something that is added on top of it. To say that it's merely incidental or because it's revolving the same issue, it's a very dangerous topic to bring up, saying that an appraisal panel can make determinations a statutory legal analysis about adding interest to a claim is merely incidental, but the panel can't make determinations about coverage, um, uh, violations of statute 60418, the the bad faith statute. Um, I, I don't understand how doing an analysis for statutory extra contractual interest can be merely incidental to the amount of loss, which is a defined term, when all of those other topics that are truly much closer to the question about the amount of loss, whether there's liability to pay for it, how those would not be something that the appraisal panel can do, but analyzing a statute in so, a court of a, So what's the
5: procedure then under the MUAA that you're relying on if it's not to modify? What category are you
6: moving under? Well, I don't know, and, and I'll say, I'm not sure you technically need the MUAA to bail to get interest. I can tell you the reason why it happened in this case is because this case procedurally mimicked the paler case in which this court said you get interest. The purpose was there's no real mechanism to go into a district court and say, give me interest. You have to have something that sort of procedurally puts you in front of the court. By asking for a motion to confirm, again, it it is, in one respect, I understand the argument that it's moot. It's not the argument that there's further liability on the award. It's setting in stone the dollars and cents of that award i.e. the amount of loss in the claim so once that number confirmed it's black and white and it's not changing now we can apply 549 and the mathematical calculations within there and there are a multitude of variables within there that get applied now we can apply it to a black and white number rather than a potential moving target there's still within the MUA there's there's motions to vacate there's motions to modify there's the ability for a district court judge to Order the panel to clarify a portion of the award over a much longer time frame than a party can ask for clarification. So asking to confirm and make that amount of loss black and white makes some sense when you're trying to use it as a enumerator for a math equation.
4: So, counsel, um, if I hear you correctly, then the failure to award pre award interest was a mathematical miscalculation by the by the appraisers.
6: No, it was not, Your Honor. My, my point is that the appraisal panel did not, does not, and cannot have the authority to issue pre-award interest pursuant to Minnesota statute 54909 there is a way for an appraisal panel to make a, a, an interest determination but it's very narrow okay the first would be is if the insurance policy provided coverage for interest if much like your your dwelling your contents additional living expenses are general first party coverages in a policy if there was a coverage for interest then the appraisal panel could make that determination because it would be part of the amount of loss. In this respect, this is sort of why, where the authority lies and what the scope is, right? So under Minnesota Statute 549, one of the first things you have to do before you can do the analysis is ask, is there a contract that provides for it or is there another statute that allows for it?
4: So you get out of the mathematical miscalculation as a modification of the award under 572 B by saying they had no authority to do it in the first
6: place. That's absolutely correct. And okay. since it could not and never have been part of the award, there's no authority for them to take on the mathematical equation.
5: And then and then by moving to infirm, you actually get a judgment in a sense in district court, which you can apply the judgment creditor interest statute to.
6: Yes. And, and Honor, I I guess the this, you know, this case is, is a couple years old and I think over time, maybe you learn other ways to do things. I think you could take an appraisal award. I think you could go into district court and bring a, declar- a declaratory judgment action. Apply, we want to apply the rights between the parties on 549.09. And I think in the limited context of pre-award interest, I think you can avoid the arbitration statute entirely. Um, it happened in this time frame kind of where the, the general practices on these issues were going at the time. But I do think as it relates to interest, You can eliminate the MUAA completely. However, I know that seems to be sort of half of what our our discussion is today. The other half sort of seems from the questions of whether or not the MUAA should apply to appraisal wars in general. And I would put before the court that um, as the current state of the law, I think it has to because I think what the Court of Appeals, and I think tangentially what this court has sort of done by maybe ignoring or how it hasn't used it in some of its decisions um it's used the mua has sort of been used as this procedural law rather than substantive law on on appraisals and, and i think that you've had judges and, and, and appellate judges that i think have said we need something to apply or it's chaos we, we went through this list of all the things that could happen or might happen or what happens if an appraisal award needed to be challenged how do you do that well, within the procedural rules of the MUAA, you have mechanisms and you have standards by which you can confirm an award if appropriate, modify it if it's in one of those very narrow circumstances, sort of a kind of a Scrivener's error or a mathematical error type of question. And the third is to vacate an award. And, and it gives you sort of the, the bullet points on, on what is subject to be able to being vacated. Now, take all of that out of the equation. And if the court is talking, all right, let's pretend the, the Arbitration Act doesn't exist. And we still have appraisals. They're mandated by statute. We have them in the insurance policies, okay? So the parties go to an appraisal to determine the amount of loss. What happens if there's a disagreement? And, and my best answer is there's going to be an amount of chaos at the district court where there's going to be anything and everything that get challenged based on no substantive or procedural rules, and we're never going to get a result on any type of insurance claim. So whether the court has the authority to you know or whether the court needs to overturn directly a supreme court case to eliminate the use of the arbitration act i I would tend to agree that i don't believe this court has specifically said this is our black and white answer on the topic i'm saying that if that's something in the court's viewpoint i think it's something that they should i think that the arbitration act's procedural rules should apply to appraisals because i think you can look at the difference, again, I started with sort of what is the scope of these different um, different venues? I think you can look at an appraisal as sort of a pared down, sort of a limited scope arbitration. What you have is you have a lot of the same procedural mechanisms, but you have a statutory limitation on how far they can go. You know, in a lot of ways an arbitration or an arbitrator has more authority than the court, because they can. that single person can decide both questions of fact and questions of law well, put that, together.
2: You know, that tends to, in, to my way of thinking, undercut the argument for applying the MUAA. We're, try, we're, trying, to, we're trying to fit a square peg, which is um, an appraisal process that goes back to the pre 1900 era into a statute that occurs decades later, gives arbitrators all kinds of power that appraisers clearly don't have. You can go back to the Quadi opinion and Justice Meyers comments there. Um, I mean, that seems to undercut the argument that we should be applying the MUAA here.
6: I think you reconcile that by applying the procedural mechanisms of the MUAA, but not the substantive ones, because the substantive ones are are where we divide. And and you're you're absolutely right. And again, I started by saying appraisals and arbitrations are not the same thing, but they're close. So I think applying these same procedural mechanisms to an appraisal process, and in particular to sort of what happens after an appraisal award is issued, I think makes a lot of sense. It's a body of law that I think answers almost every question that could come up.
4: Council, whose job is it to establish procedures for appraisals? Is that the job of the courts or is it the job of the legislature? Because you're, you're seeming, to, seem to say, seeming to say we should take the procedures from the MUAA and apply them to appraisals.
6: But whose job is that? In a perfect world, you know, we're, we're, I mean, it's, it's interesting we're in this building today for this argument. This is a legislative issue. The fact is I don't, they haven't done it. The, the fix here is a legislature saying this is how we want this applied. The same way they did in 1991 when they changed the, the interest statute to add awards to it, which is in a roundabout way how we got here today. That's on the legislature to fix, but, but for their action is this court's role to say, how do these cases that are happening in this state, how do we weave them into the law that exists, and how do we make it so it's not a spiderweb and chaos for every homeowner who has any dispute?
4: Well, mm-hmm. Justice Anderson's point is well taken. The MUA was passed in <coughs> 19, <coughs> 1957, and we had appraisals for a long time before that.
6: Absolutely. Although I do think that over time, the, the appraisal process has grown It's sort of more of a you know, more of a, a, I guess it's modern form in it. So I agree with you that this, the statute in this body has existed. Um, But with a lot of the court decisions over the last 10 to 20 years, it has sort of expanded the use of the appraisal process. And I think that's really why this is maybe coming more to head in the more recent years, Your Honor, is because it is a, I think parties and, and everybody has realized it is a less expensive and quicker process than going through an 18 to 24 month district court fight over what many times are very limited issues so its, it's use is probably expanded on you know Count, where it goes
7: counsel if you would um you said in answer to justice since uh, question that one way to reconcile this you know putting the square peg into the round hole kind of idea is to simply apply the procedural uh parts of the muaa and not the substantive I have in my mind what you mean by that, but differentiate those for me. So what does that look like? What would, when you say the procedural mechanisms, spell out for me exactly
6: what you mean. We'll start with, you wouldn't look to the MUA to define the authority of the panel or to define who they are, what they are. That is still defined by Minnesota statute 65A, that is what defines the scope and the authority of the panel. What I mean on the procedure, and I think I can probably, and maybe I'll miss one, but I think I probably would limit it to really four parts of the the Uniform Arbitration Act. One of them is the the modification, which would be 0.24. We've got the confirmation, vacation, and the request to clarify an award. And and how I'm characterizing and talking about the procedural rules in there, I I think you can almost be even more narrow to what I'm describing, and it's really the post appraisal procedures um these are the things that the the statute the policy have defined what the panel can do and we're applying these limited parts of of the muaa to what happens after the fact because as we described in a way there's a little bit of we need some rules in place or there's chaos and if there's no rules and no structure it's very hard to ever have a a final decision or a resolution when nobody knows what rules they're playing by these, at least on the procedural, things, set, set some pretty fair and reasonable rules on, on what goes. How so,
3: about the statute of limitations then?
6: Um, first, you're, I think it's important as, as, as a lawyer to say, I, I don't know that that issue is properly before the court, what the actual deadline is. I think the argument was whether the 90-day applied in this, and argument is not. But as with what happened at the Court of Appeals when asked this question, I think the legislature has already answered this question. In this circumstance, <laughs> it is a claim for statutory interest, 54909. The legislature has already said that under 54105 that a, a statutory claim has a six-year statute of limitations. The date of the award is the triggering date for when interest would be due. You have six years from the date of that award to bring the claim for pre-award interest under 54909. I think that's a nice. I think it gives a straight line to answer the question. I think it fits within the law that's in place already. And I think that goes to a broader point that the Oliver's made today is we think that the Court of Appeals drew a pretty straight line on on how to sort of reconcile current case law, um, these varying issues, and sort of give you a nice straight line on how to get, this is how the process works and makes sense. Um, To go down the road that State Farm's arguing, I I think there's more cases and more laws that need to be either fundamentally changed or partially changed to get to that resolution. So our argument would be, I, I think the answers are in place. And I think that in a way we're we're looking for a problem that doesn't exist to fix it. I think the Court of Appeals drew a very straightforward answer on on how this process should work and how it makes sense. And they focused, I think, really poignantly on defining what the roles are of the different bodies and what the scope of their authority is. Um, And I go back to, you know, assuming that the MUA does apply, you know, the district court took a request for interest and and relabeled it as a modification thinking all right this is how we want to apply it well the, the court of appeals go it, it could never have been a motion to modify because it didn't fit within these uh, it didn't fit within something the appraisal panel could do again it's sort of what is the role and what is the scope of the different bodies if it's not something that panel could ever do well you can't modify an award to, to put it in there You know, and I think that's again.
2: Let's go back to the um, MUAA. um, Let's assume that we apply the MUAA and my question to you about the 90 day provision. If I'm reading State Farm's position correctly, they say the 90 day provision applies and they point to the National Indemnity uh, Company decision from 1984, um, where that that case dealt with an arbitration award. But of course, you know, everybody here is telling me that we need to do, do, we need to be treating this as an arbitration award. So if that's the case, why isn't the proper procedure for the party to move to modify the award?
6: Again, and again, I, maybe it's a dead horse, Your Honor, but it is extremely important that the difference between an appraisal and arbitration, because using case law that says that an arbitration panel can, can do this, I agree with that. The problem is an appraisal panel can't, and you can't really reconcile, well, in this arbitration so case, this, they could have done so it.
2: Your answer to national indemnity is, a substantive yeah. procedure
6: that that distinction is what controls it. That's absolutely right, Your Honor. Okay. And, you. and, and it does, to me, it has to be important as it goes back to what the scope and roles are. You know, arbitrator has the authority to make a statutory interest decision. They have been granted that authority to do that. So if they made an error in the math, I, you can modify it. Now, I would say for, for the sake of this argument, if an uh, arbitrator, let's say we're just in a general arbitration, and the arbitrator fails to make a decision on interest, the mechanism to resolve that is not a motion to modify. The mechanism to resolve that issue would be a motion to vacate the entire award. That is something that that body had the authority to do, and they failed to do it. That is not one of the three reasons to bail to modify a statute. Um, you're, you're talking about a mathematical error um, or a description. Failing to do something is not a mathematical error. The arbitrator made an award on something it couldn't. That supposes an um, um, modification you can take something out of the award but not add something onto the award and the last one is, is imperfect in a matter of form not affecting the merits of the claim so if an arbitrator failed to make a statutory interest claim that sure goes to the merits of that claim so even an arbitrator who fails to make a statutory interest decision in an arbitration the motion to modify the modification statute is not the proper remedy to fix that. It would be a motion to vacate. Which I think, again, now let's talk about where State Farm's argument was, well, let's just let the panel do it, but we're going to let the court have a de novo review on everything. One, there's not an appropriate mechanism for that to happen. If the court allows an appraisal panel to go beyond their authority and make extra contractual determinations in an appraisal, The review of that is not to modify the award, that doesn't fit into the rules. Um, it's, It's not a de novo review to the court, that's not a mechanism that exists. The only mechanism to resolve even a minor dispute on interest would be to vacate the entire award. Because as our laws sit, there is not a mechanism in place to challenge or vacate part of an award, it's all or nothing. So the idea that allowing an appraisal panel to make what is a complicated legal analysis that it's okay because we'll just let the court review it. That's not a mechanism that exists. Can I just
5: clarify? So, an arbitrator as opposed to an appraisal planner does have the power to award pre award interest. Yes. And so, national indemnity is different in that regard. That's kind of your central point.
6: Exactly. It is the authority and the scope of the authority of two different bodies. And again, so. This kind of touches on a little bit of the, you know, whether or not this is something that's incidental to it. So for an appraisal panel, or to be fair, for a court, for a district court judge, to make a determination on the applicability of the interest statute, this is just a a list of things they have to go through. They have to determine what date first written notice was given on the claim. They have to determine who the prevailing party is. They have to determine what part of an award are pecuniary damages. They have to determine if there's any common law that addresses it whether the insurance policy talks about it whether there's any other statutes that are applicable then it has to figure out who the prevailing party is how much the award is what interest rate to apply to it that is a lot of things that are a legal analysis that to be fair we don't want in the hands of an appraisal panel it is not authority that was granted to them by statute it is not part of the insurance claim it is not part of the amount of loss it is a Extra contractual damage subject to a detailed legal analysis that belongs in front of the court. In the simplest terms, that is an issue that was supposed to be in front of the district court, and that's where it should stay.
5: So, here's one so you get an appraisal panel under the MUAA, you go into court to confirm it, then the court can enter a judgment under the MUAA, and then you can seek pre award interest on that judgment that's kind of the process you're
6: yeah I think you would do it contemporaneously I mean, you could do it but contempor- yes I think if we're walking through the step by step now so, but can- what if
5: state farmers already paid you so what are you going to conf- you know so th- this is kind of my biggest conceptual problem with this case in the procedure is the appraisal ward comes in they pay you in full the amount of the amount of loss so what are you going into court to confirm because there's no judgment owing because they've already paid it
6: in that scenario you're simply confirming the number so when the court is doing its analysis on the interest it has a black and white number that's not in dispute that can't be challenged i mean you, you could surely have an argument in which a full appraisal awards paid but there could be arguments about the nature of are all the damages in that award being paid compensatory or pecuniary which means not all of them are technically subject to the interest statute there is a more detailed analysis and simply under the confirmation It's to lock down a number. So that way I've described the many variables we're fighting over. It's to eliminate at least one of the variables in the analysis. And that's to say, listen, here's the number we're using. Now we've got what's a relatively, which I think should be easier, but in our current state is a relatively complicated analysis. Let's take that variable out of the equation and let's resolve the case. With that, your honors, I'll. Leave a little time and thank you for your time today and your consideration.
0: Thank you, Council. Uh, Mr. Williams, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal.
1: Thank you, Your Honor, Council. I believe it's important to take a step back and, and think about what appraisal is supposed to do and what the process is, is supposed to represent. In some ways, I feel like the appraisal interest question is swallowing the appraisal process itself because what we're we're hearing is that essentially there's an avenue here where every matter that goes to appraisal can't really be finalized until you get to the point that you've brought a motion in the district court to confirm the number add interest to the number and essentially get a lawyer involved to both you know, pursue your interest, and then the insurance company gets a lawyer involved to def- defend against the interest. And while that might be great for lawyers to have all of those cases in the district court to fight over as it relates to appraisal interest, the purpose of appraisal in of itself is to avoid that process. It's supposed to be speedy, just, and final. You're supposed to be able to get your appraisal, have it done, and have your your claim concluded as swiftly as possible. So the concept of always I, having to go... that gr-
2: seems to be, this would be the last time I say this, that seems to me to be an argument for saying the NUAA doesn't apply.
1: I... I, I, and I, I not I, that. <laughs> well, no, and, and to me, you know, I, I, I can understand that point of view. I mean, that's again, the, the difference, I agree, there are differences between appraisals and, and arbitrations, but, but having this world where you have to go to district court to get your appraisal interest in the first instance, I think is problematic. I also think you know, that as I'm looking at the negatives of saying, okay, well, an appraisal panel cannot weigh in on appraisal interest, the statute of limitations problem is real. The six-year limitation, I don't believe that would apply in the first place um, because under Paylor, there is no action necessary to collect pre-award interest. That was the holding in the case. Essentially, you don't need to show there's been a breach of contract or any other type of action to collect pre-award interest. So since that's now clear and paler, I assume
4: insurance companies after appraisal are paying the amount of the loss by the appraisers and then whatever
1: the pre-award interest calculation is. Well and the, the so problem is not ending the, up in court. Right. But the problem with that is that no one's agreeing on what the pre-award interest number should be. If, if there were no disagreements about when the interest clock should start ticking, what the interest rate should be, one of the big um, fights going on right now is whether you determine the interest number based on the actual cash value of the award or the replacement cost value of the award. How do you factor in prior payments? That so it were sounds issued? like those
4: are legal issues, which maybe plays into Mr. Jane's argument that this is not just a mathematical
1: calculation. It's something for courts. Well, I, but I agree that, I mean, in our in our, you know, proposal it's a district court issue on review de novo potentially but we're trying to get rid of those disputes essentially at the appraisal level that aren't over significant dollars or that don't have meaningful issues in dispute and if the only way you can do that is by going to court I think that's a problem
3: but what do you say about the practical question that the people who make up these appraisal panels are contractors and people who know about the loss issues, but not all of those factors that you just you just ran through.
1: Well, the, the appraisal panels are varied. I, I've had appraisals where the, the folks involved are not contractors at all or where the umpire who's making the decision is a lawyer, and it doesn't have a background in construction. And so there's folks who are handling appraisals. I mean, there's no real requirement other than that they, they be disinterested in terms of having a financial outcome in, in the case, not conflicted out. But beyond that, there's folks who are handling appraisals who are from all, all – types of walks of life, so I don't know that it's necessarily true to say that, oh, you have to have a legal background, and, and I would agree that there are disputes that probably, you know, do involve some concepts of, you know, deciding does interest accrue on this number, that number, but again, if you don't like the number, you can go to district court and and have a de novo review, and over time, I think that is going to become a mathematical calculation, um, because you know it is it is going to be something that when there are cases that have and there will be cases that go to the court of appeals undoubtedly about how you decide you know what the number should be then it becomes you know, something that is essentially mathematical. You know when appraisal interest starts. You know what the number is based on. Right now, there's a lot of uncertainty about that just because there's disagreements generally on both sides that are being handled in district court, and the district court judges are disagreeing on those, those things. So that, that's something that I think will be, be coming forward.
2: So let me ask you about the 90-day uh, um, st- statute limitations issue. Opposing counsel says uh, national indemnity is uh, interesting but doesn't apply. How do you how do you respond to it? Well that? I think that's
1: the that's the problem and this maybe goes to what you you know, we're getting under, but that's a problem with applying the MUAA sometimes and not other times. Because if you're, you know, that's what we feel is unfair about the process in terms of the MUAA. You can't say, well, arbitrators and appraisers are different as it relates to that case. And so they, you, you can't say that it applies to the circumstances here. But in other situations, arbitrations and appraisals are similar enough that we do use the MUAA for procedural rules, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that, that's the, the piecemeal fashion that can be frustrating is, if you're going to abide by the so, MUAA, you sh-
2: let's you should just abide by. drill down on the ninety-day question. Let's say we say the MUAA applies, um, and uh, now we're faced with State Farm's argument that we should apply the ninety-day window. Why, using national indemnity, or some other case, or some other
1: argument? Do we apply the 90-day window? Well, I think the 90-day window, you can textually, you can look at MINSTAT 572B.24, which is the modification statute itself. And it says one of the ways in which you can modify an appraisal award is if you can show that the award is imperfect in a matter of form, not affecting the merits of the decision on the claim submitted. I'll read that again. The award is imperfect in a matter of form not affecting the merits of the decision on the claim submitted. And so we've used the dictionary definition of what imperfect means, and it means incomplete in some way. Um, And I think that that is textually something where you can say, well, without the pre-award interest, it's not complete. Because I, I do want to make, make it clear that the, the concern that, that exists as it relates to not having this 90-day window at all or not saying the, the appraisers can weigh in at all is um, this, I, I don't believe the six-year statute of limitations would apply because those situations only arise when you have an action that exists under the law. And under Paylor, you don't need an action to claim pre-award interest. So essentially, you're going to have an unlimited amount of time to seek pre-award interest. There's really nothing to stop you from seeking it years after an appraisal has occurred and and the danger with that is when do claims end then so you have your appraisal and then you end up in a situation where you're potentially disputing appraisal interest, and then the insurance company says, okay, we've got to keep our file open until maybe we hear from someone. It might be years. It might not. Maybe they'll, they, they won't follow through on that. And so that becomes a, a problem.
4: So I, I realize the importance to insurance companies of closing their files the, I'm and not, not minimizing that, but what other bad things happen if you allow a six-year statute of limitations for
1: an award of pre-award interest? Well, first and foremost, I don't know how you could define it as six years, because I don't think there's a statute that would say that it's a six-year claim. I mean, saying it's six years, normally you would base that in some sort of you know, uh, counsel said 54909, but that relates to breach of contract type claims. That relates to actual causes of action under the law. And under Paylor, you don't need a cause of action to seek pre-award interest. So the chaos that I envision is somebody comes back in year five and says, um, you know, I'm seeking pre-award interest. Well, how are they gonna do that? Are they they're gonna file a breach of contract action or a declaratory judgment action against the insurance company? How did the insurance company breach its contract by not paying pre-award interest, which is statutory in, statutory in nature, not based in the insurance contract? So I don't know that it would be a six years. I, I, that's, that's the problem is saying it's six years is essentially saying that there's a cause of action for pre-award interest, and that just can't be true under Paler.
7: Council, I'm I'm wondering, where in Paylor did we say that an action is required to secure pre-award interest? Because it seems to me the point of Paylor is that it is statutory. The pre-award interest is under 549, and that lines up with the statute of limitations that that your opponent is talking about.
1: Well, I'm actually saying the opposite. I think in Paylor, it's clear that a cause of action is not necessary to bring a claim for pre-award interest. In other words—
7: Where do you— where do you get that from? What's well, the language? Well, because the
1: underlying nature of Paler was that um, the question was whether or not the, the insured had to show a breach of contract by the insurance company to be able to collect pre-award interest. And in Paylor, this court said no, that, that you don't. And so there is no cause of action. And so I, I would compare, this is you know, the overarching issue with this too is, if you have a personal injury lawsuit, you have to collect all of your sums that are available to you as part of your action, as part of your litigation that you're pursuing. The appraisal would be the one area of law in Minnesota where you essentially collect your interest as part of a separate proceeding. And the preceding itself has no time limitation upon which you can collect it and then the actual proceeding itself i don't know what it would be because we talked here about this was a motion to confirm under the muaa if it's not that i don't know what it is because if if, if you're not suing for breach of contract if you're saying it's a i mean the, it, the problem is is that if you're going to separate the appraisal interest from the appraisal award itself i don't think the law has remedies for that in terms of a statute of limitation or a procedural mechanism for how you do it if you're gonna abandon the MUAA's 90-day window. I I see my time is up, but I'm happy to answer any final questions if the court isn't.
0: I think we're good. Okay, thank Thank you very much. Thank you, counsel. (laughs) Thanks to both counsel for the help you provided to the court in this matter. This case is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.